Hey everybody, welcome to the Slick Tree Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Langford. The point of this show is to help improve ourselves as dogmen and to raise the quality of the dogs on the end of our lead. So let's settle in, turn the volume up, and let's see if we can't learn a trick or two together from our guests. I'm your host, Colby Langford, and you guys are listening to the Slick Tree Podcast. Today, I've got a friend of mine, Lane Williams. We're going to do a little interview, mostly about blood tracking dogs and uh, his training process and his experiences with that. How are you doing today, Lane? I'm doing good, man. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. So, can we start out by, uh, let's just tell let's just tell everybody a little bit about you, Lane. Uh, how, when you got into dogs and, and, and what all kinds of dogs you've messed with in your life. All right. Hi, uh, my name's Lane Williams. I'm 33 years old. I'm from Oak Busky County, and I've lived here pretty much my whole life. And uh, I got my start in dogs with uh, coon dogs. We I coon hunted ever since I could keep up with my dad and my grandpa, and some even before that when they was packing me through the woods. But so I've been been doing it pretty much my whole life. And my grandpa was a coon hunter. My dad's a coon hunter. Um, my dad's a, uh, canine handler now, police officer and been doing that for shoot. I don't even know exactly how many years, probably close to 30 years. He trains canines and, uh, canine handlers. He, he ch- teaches people how to be canine handlers and, and things like that. And, and, uh, so I've learned, I've been around those types of dogs and done a lot of, uh, he does tracking and, uh, narcotics detection, bite work, all that stuff. And, and I've learned a lot from from him on that stuff. And um, I also I rodeoed in high school and college, and we had some cow dogs that we used for when we were practicing on bulls. We would send a dog in and kind of as a bullfighter to get the get the bulls off of us when we were practicing things like that. I had one of them that I hauled around with me all the time, and so I've been around cow dogs and coon dogs and police dogs and. I've recently got into the uh, tracking dogs, and um, now I have a, a terrier also, so I've been doing some of that in the last year or so. So I've been around a lot, a lot of different kinds of dogs, seen a lot of really great dogs, some that weren't worth their weight, but um, I've been doing it, been doing it, been around a long time. Yeah, I'd seen where you'd been going hauling your. Was it a Jack Terrier? Yeah, she's a she's a Jack Terrier or or Yacht Terrier, however you want to say it. It's a German imported Jack Russell, basically. But they, uh, I've learned a lot from that little dog too. They, she's got so much heart and drive that's it's unbelievable. How, you know, you see something in one dog and you think that that's the measuring stick, and then you come across a different one and you're like, holy cow, this is a whole, whole another level of drive and heart. And I've seen her, or I've had her get just eat plum up, you know, and and never back off. <laughs> And I've got a little cur dog that I thought was pretty gritty. I've seen him take some pretty good licks and keep on going. And when I got her, it bumped my measuring stick up on, on that. Yeah. But we took her down to the uh, terrier trials, and I went to in Tyler, Texas, and we we competed in that and got to see a lot of good dog work and meet some more dog people. And that's every, everything I, I think anybody that – 
you know, that dabbles in different lines of dogs or different, you know, breeds of dogs or whatever, if you can pick something up from each one, you know, that, that, that translates back to whatever you were originally doing, you know, like if you're into tree dogs and you get a tracking dog, you can learn something from those tracking dogs that improve your, your tree dogs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's like, I know you, you've got uh, some bird dogs too, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a short hair and a wire hair right now. And, uh, I kind of use the wire hair more of a versatile, they're both versatile breeds, but, uh, the wire hair mm-hmm. actually, I've, I've used her this year, uh, as a dove retrieving dog. Uh, I've used her in teal early duck goose season as a, as a retriever. Uh, and then she's a pretty nice upland dog as well. I've thought about, I've thought about messing with her on. Uh, she's only, she just turned two. Uh, I don't think I'm probably too late on. If I were to try to start her on, on doing some tracking work, I don't think I've probably no. missed that window. But no, I don't. I don't think you'd have any problem with her there. Well, she, they got good, good noses. Yeah. The main thing we want to talk about today was. Uh, I'm going to toot your own horn a little bit for you. Just we met through squirrel hunting. And uh, I believe it was mm-hmm. UKC hunt that you'd put on was when I first met you, and then met, saw you at some more NSD hunts. Yeah, you seem to really have a handle on uh, as as far as just training in general, and you do a really nice job starting dogs. I've noticed. Well, I appreciate that. I respect you a lot as as far as that goes. I got I got to have the right kind of dog that falls into doing what what they're supposed to do in order for them to turn into anything with me. It seems like. But I was wanting to hear uh, kind of a breakdown of your training process for how you've started uh, and trained the blood tracking dogs you've messed with. Okay. I, I'll start off by saying uh, the a tra- training a tracking dog is, is pretty easy. I, I, I think it's a lot easier than, like, getting a, a dog to tree. For one, I mean, the when, you, when you're training the tracking dog, you can use the odor and you can lay the track yourself and you know exactly where it is. You know, so all everything's in your favor as far as training the dog. It's a controlled process versus turning a squirrel dog loose in the woods and and you don't know where the squirrel was or where he went, and you're just hoping that you know the dog gets on a track or you know if he does start barking on one, you don't know if it's a hot track or a fr- fresh track, and you got to decipher all that stuff and try to praise him when he's right, and you don't really know if he's right or if he's wrong, you know. So it's a whole lot easier when you're training a tracking dog because you control everything. And the process that I, that I use for training the tracking dog is the same process that police officers use to train canines to track people. You know, I'm sure, you know, if you're, if you've spent very much time with a pup in the woods, um, you know, dogs know how to track naturally. You can, you know, that squirrel dog pup can be run through the woods and if you walk off and leave him, you can see him on your Garmin or dog trip. He'll hit your track and he'll track back to you and find you. Mm-hmm. So um, they they naturally do that. They they track each other when they're running loose. Um, they'll track their mama if they're you know when they're pups when they're when they're running loose and things like that. And they'll learn how to track you. So they they already know how to track. So you're basically just trying to teach them, you know, to track something that you want them to track. And if they have any kind of drive about them at all, it's it's pretty easy. But um, what I do is I train to the tracking dogs or deer recovery dogs to track the uh, interdigital gland. And what that is, is it's, it's a scent that the deer have and they, they produce a, a certain pheromone when they're wounded, but they have that, that interdigital gland scent. That's, you know, the way I've um, learned it is it's kind of like their, 
fingerprint. It's individual um, or specific to each individual deer. You know, they that's how a, a, a buck can track a specific doe that's in estrus or, or whatever. Um, or, in, and I like to translate it to how a coyote will track a wounded deer that's that's been shot or been hit by a car or whatever. They produce that pheromone when they're wounded. That's why when, you know, probably 90% of the tracks we go on are shot at a feeder in Oklahoma. And you'll go to that feeder and there's been, you know, 27 deer in that feeder within the last 24 hours. And that dog can pick out the one that's been wounded and push that track, you know, mm-hmm. when there's several tracks that's been at that feeder, you know. So, and the way you, the way you do that or the way I do it, and this, this way I do it, you know, there's several ways to do it with anything you do. But the way I do it is I, um, I'll get um, deer feet or hooves from deer that have been wounded and you know you don't want one that's been shot with a rifle and like drops straight in its tracks because they don't really have time to produce that pheromone that you want them to track Uh Um, so you get deer feet from deer that have been bow shot is what i do and you can do that a couple different ways you can just talk to your buddies and and you know let them give them to you you can you start collecting them off of the deer that you shoot yourself. Um, you can also go to a deer processing plant and get them. And one piece of advice I'll give if you do that is uh, don't just call your processor and tell them to, you know, set you some back because they'll throw a whole bunch of them in a bucket and they'll all be cross-contaminated and each one of them will have all the scent will be mingled together. Mm, that makes sense. And you don't want your... You don't want that. You, if you're going to do that, what I suggest doing is go park at the processor on a, you know, a Saturday morning, and as those deer come in, ask the guys, you know, if they would mind if you take the feet off of them, and then you put them in this Ziploc bag as you cut them off, and that way they're not cross contaminated. And, and I, I have um, the tracking shoes. I don't know if you've. Um, seen those or not but I, I believe i've seen a video that you'd posted here a while back that you were using them yeah they have a there's a couple different kinds out there and i'd have to i'd have to look to see i can't even remember the name of the website where i got them but a guy sent them to me that uh he's seen my tiktok channel and i'd posted some videos and i had a lot of people following so he sent me a pair of those shoes and i started using them they're basically just a rubber sole that goes on the bottom of your of your shoe and they have a cutout in the bottom of them where you can put a deer foot. And uh, you can do that, but before, I um, mean, it makes it handy because it gets your, your hands free uh, when you are laying a track, you know. And what I used to do before that was I would just zip tie or take a pair of pipe clamps and I would clamp a deer foot to just like a broom handle and I'd walk and lay a track um, like you were using like hiking sticks or uh-huh. something. But anyway, I use two at a time. So what I do when I collect feet off of deer is I'll take a, a hind leg and a front leg and I'll package them together. And so you've got four feet, so that gives you two two packages that you can do. I uh, vacuum seal them and put them in the freezer like that. If you put, you know, two of them in the shoes or you can put one on each broom handle and walk with them. And that's that's how I lay my lay my tracks. But um, to back up a little bit, once you've got your once you've got your deer feet, and then another good thing to save is blood. 
and you don't really want to train your dog to track blood but it makes it a little bit easier and you can start off with a little bit of blood and kind of wean them off of it as you go Mm -hmm. but um it's not a bad idea to save some save some blood you know a dog can smell a little bit of it you know everything it's not like you know he's just tracking the interdigital gland he can he can track that and you want them to be keying in on that but they're also going to smell hair and and blood and anything else that's coming off of that deer as they're tracking they're going to smell a little bit of all that but so if you get your feet saved get the blood get some blood and then i'll save you know some hide um here and there just little pieces and i, I don't like doing drags a drag is really easy for a dog to track and i mean you, you can do a drag when they're like puppies you know just uh-huh. to build their drive and stuff. But I don't, when I, when they get old enough to start tracking and I, I like to start them, you know, anywhere from four to six months, depending on their maturity level and stuff. And you can do little things with them, hide their toys and play tug with them and stuff like that to build that tracking in them. But, but like we talked about earlier, the dogs already know how to track. So you can increase that drive some when they're young, but a drag is too easy. Any dog can, you know, if you drag a hide, they're gonna they're gonna find it, or they should pretty pretty quick. But but sometimes I'll carry a hide with me, and just carrying a hide, will you know it's gonna be dropping scent as you're going, uh-huh. and and it's not near as uh, easy for them as if you're dragging it along the ground. Like, and it's the same like as a deer. If a deer's running through the woods, you know they're gonna be dropping scent, but their hair and stuff's gonna brush against brush and sticks and things but they're not just laying it on the ground you know so easy so sometimes i'll carry a hide with me and this is all so any any, when you're training the tracking dog i start out as easy as possible and you'll lay a track so we've already talked about all the stuff you'll need once you get all that stuff gathered up the very first track that i'll lay will be a really short straight line track and i'll usually start with the wind in the dog's face that's the easiest track you can go and i'll go 50 yards or something like that just a real short easy straight line track and i won't i won't age it any at all we'll go i'll run it on it run the dog on it while it's fresh so i'll get my tracking my deer feet or my tracking shoes or whatever and i'll start out with a little bit of blood i'll i usually put the blood in a syringe if you'll blend it before you freeze it it makes it a whole lot easier because it will clot and then it won't, you won't be able to get it through a syringe. So if you blend it and then freeze it, it'll stay where a, you can take a big syringe and and draw up, you know, two or three cc's of blood. Mm-hmm. And you can uh, make you like a hit site. I'll take that syringe and I'll squirt a little blood and, and you'll just kind of simulate a hit site. Because usually when you go to a track, somebody will say, this is last blood or this is where he was standing when I shot him or whatever. And they'll usually have some kind of blood or something. And I'll do that, and then what I'll do is I'll start off on, on a, this is your, like your very first track. I'll go 50 yards in a straight line with the wind hitting me in the face, and every step I'll put a drop of blood. And I'll sometimes I'll carry a hide with me, and every now and then I might shake it just a little bit, have a few hair uh, pieces of hair fall off of it or whatever, and then I'll take it to the end of the track. You know, different things drive dogs. Some some dogs are driven by food. Some dogs are driven by, um, you know, like my little terrier. She likes to play tug and chew on things and stuff. So I'll put a hide at the end of her track, and when she finds it, I'll, you know, tease her with it, let her chew on it, play tug with her, and that kind of thing. That's kind of her reward. 
Tim, my mountain cur, uh, food really drives him. So when I was starting off with him, I would put uh, a little piece of canned dog feed at the hit site, and then I'd put one, like a piece in the middle of the track, and then I'd put the whole can at the end in a bowl, and that would be his reward. When he tracked all the way to the end, he'd get a, a canned dog feed. Um, but you got to that's, – that's individual. You just got to find out what drives your dog. Some dogs – just petting them and loving them, telling them good job, drive them. Some of them, you know, food can drive them or whatever, but um, you just kind of de- got to decide what, what drives them. So that's your first track, just easy, straight line. It's not aged, it's fresh. And then you continue doing that and you make it a little bit harder. You, you keep it in a straight line and the next time you do it, you might um, age it just a little bit and let them do it again with it a little bit aged. And then anytime you make it, um like you go to the next step we always back up and make it easier so if you get to where that dog can track a four hour old straight line track and now you're going to put a right hand turn in it and see if he can pick up that turn then you back up on your difficulty so don't if he can track a four hour old straight line and then you you do a, a 90 degree turn don't age it four hours back up and run that 90 degree turn on a fresh track and then he ought to he ought to pick up that turn because you're going back backwards and he'll pick up that turn and then increase the difficulty level on that until he's getting that 90 degree turn at four hours and then you might you know do a 90 degree turn and then and then put another turn and you know got two turns in it or age it even longer or whatever but every time you every time you go to a harder step you always back up and make it easy for them because you want them to succeed at that next step, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing, you know, we talk, I always, I said the wind at, at, at their face on the first track, you know, that's going to be the easiest track for a dog is when the wind's in his face. And you can do that same thing um, and put the wind at his back, and that's going to be harder for him. He's really going to have to put his nose down and actually track versus when that wind's blowing in his face, he might smell that bowl of food or that hide or whatever you have at the end of the track. If the wind's at his face, he might smell that before you ever even put it on him and he wants to go straight to it. And that's fine. But if he does that and he's, you know, just burns that track up and goes straight to it, then you know that he's already passed that. The next time you do it, put the wind at his back and bring him, you know, run the track with the wind at your back when you lay it. So when you bring him back, um, it's, he has to put his nose down and actually, actually smell for it and track that scent. And then, uh, but those are all things you want to, you want to do with them and make it harder and harder. And like the UBT one certification is approximately like a four, uh, 400 yard track that's aged like four hours. And that's pretty, pretty easy um to get one to do and it's uh pretty common most of your deer are going to be found within that within that mark i mean if you can get one to track a four hour old track um 400 yards you'll you'll recover that deer's ready to be or that dog is ready to be taken to the woods and and you know tested out on some deer that's kind of the benchmark like once they get to where they'll do that i'll i'll start you know, taking some phone calls and taking them on tracks and stuff. Speaking of like the UBT one, I believe is the test you just said. 
I'm not real up to speed on this, but I know that most states have their own specific blood tracker associations. Is that something that you're currently involved with, taking dogs through? No, I, I, have, I, I am familiar with it, and I've talked to them and everything. And uh, my dog, he's, he can... I haven't taken him and had him certified only because I, I have so many calls already that if you go and you take that test, they'll put you on their list in Oklahoma and they'll, and they have a Facebook page and, and you'll be on there all the time. But I have so many calls already that I have to turn down quite a few that I haven't never put my dog on there, but they, yes, you're, you're correct. They, they do have, um, there's two of them in Oklahoma. There's the Oklahoma Blood Trackers Association, and then there's the uh, uh, United Blood Trackers Association. And I think the, I think that one's more of a nationwide type deal. I think they're pretty much everywhere. And I have been to like there's a deal that they do called Tracklahoma, and I've been to that. And you can learn a lot. They have you know guest speakers, and they'll have guys that you know talk about statistics and and things like that. And you can you can learn a lot going to that. I I definitely recommend uh, if anybody wants to go to that, they can you'll see it posted everywhere. But if you're in Oklahoma, you can go to the Oklahoma Blood Trackers Association Facebook page, and they'll have that stuff posted all over there with the dates and times and that type of thing. And if you uh, get on there, you know you'll you'll have people blowing your phone up all the time wanting you to track for them. I can only imagine this time of year. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, I could. I'm not even on it, and I could take a track every day. I mean, and it's just from which I have quite a few people that, you know, that are. I, I post a lot of videos on TikTok and on Facebook and things of training and and dogs and stuff. So a lot of people know that I had dogs and I have a tracking dog and just just word of mouth, you know, they tag any anybody they see that is looking for a dog they'll tag me in it and i could go i could go on a track just about every day and a lot of times multiple times especially during your your busy times like youth weekend and um opening weekend of muzzleloader i mean my phone just does not stop ringing (laughs) during rifle season and and it'll be crazy the whole time through rifle season you could i could go on three or four a day probably have you started using your your terrier yet on tracks, or are you still just using your Tim dog? I'm I'm using her some, and I'll take her and run her on the. If it's a, if somebody calls me, I have people that'll call me, you know, that are here local that have easy tracks, and I'll I'll run her on those that you know deer confirmed dead, and sometimes I'll run her on harder ones. Like if I run Tim on it and I find the deer or recover the deer, then I'll run her on it and let her. You know, that way I kind of know the path that the deer went and I can control, you know, everything and if she gets off of it. And so going back to the to the training process, the most important thing is knowing your dog. I mean, you've got to know when he's right and you've got to know why when he's wrong. And that's what makes it easy is you if you're laying the tracks, you know, you know, when your dog's wrong, and when your dog's right. And if you can watch their body language and learn, you know, how they act and, and and what they do when they're lost or, you know, if what they do when they're right is the most important thing to to watch and to learn. And when you set that dog up and you know that there's a right turn coming and more than likely, you know, when I like to change that difficulty is when they start pushing it fast. Because when they push it fast, 
they'll make mistakes. So if I get a dog that's, you know, we've already laid a straight line track, he burned that one up, had the wind in his face. Then we went to uh, the wind at their back, and they burned that one up too. And then now we aged it an hour, and he burned it up. And now I've aged it four hours, and he's burning it up. Now it's time to I'm I'm gonna make him I'm gonna challenge him, so I'm gonna put a turn in it or whatever. But like I said, we're gonna back up, so I'll do a 90 degree turn, and I might put you know I might go 100 yards before I do that 90 degree turn. And then I'll back it up to if he was burning up that four hour old track, I'll go to an hour old track with a 90 degree turn. And what I'm watching for is what that dog does when he overruns that 90 degree turn, because he's going to overrun it. He's going to be burning it up because it's easy. It's an hour old and he's already done a four hour old track and succeeded. So he's going to be burning this one hour old track up. And when it runs, when it turns 90 degrees, He's going to overrun it, and I'm going to be watching his body language and what he does. And I'm not going to stop him and correct him and pull him back and show him where it's at. I'm just going to let him work through it, but I'm going to watch his body language and see what he does. So when I'm tracking a live deer and I don't know what the where the deer went, he's going to do the same thing when he gets lost or he gets off of it or the deer turned or the deer you know, backed up on his track or whatever it did. He will he's going to do that same body language and you're going to know that he's off track. And if he continues to be off track for a hundred yards and he never comes and never goes back to that good body language that you're looking for, then you'll take him back and start him over and let him try it again. And, and he might slow down and he might pick it up, you know, where he didn't the first time. So that the most important thing about a tracking dog is knowing your dog. I mean, it's the same way with a, squirrel dog or whatever you know knowing when he's treed to call him or knowing when he's not sure you know some of my dogs i can tell if they've got a squirrel treed or a coon treed just by the way they bark you know and um it's the same way with a tracking dog they're they're and that's what i you know oklahoma's a on lead state you have to track on lead and i like that because you can learn a lot from that dog by watching them if you just cut them loose with a tracking collar and you don't get to see everything they do and but on lead you can you can see all that body language and their posture and you can hear their changes in their nose when they're really smelling hard and trying to grub that track up you can hear the difference in it and stuff when they're really working hard and you can tell when they're burning it up and when they're struggling and i mean that's the most important part so when you're when you're laying those tracks for your dog pay attention to what they do when he when they make mistakes you know because that's what you want to learn it's a it's a team deal i mean there's good dogs out there that you know you can just turn drop them on track and they can find a deer but i think they're pretty rare most of your really good tracking teams are are guys that have a good dog that's really trying hard and they know that dog very well and they know when to start him over they know you know certain kinds of tracks that he struggles with and ways they can set him up for failure you know if, if they think a deer is in this hay field they if their dog's really good at winding they might just walk the downwind side of it if they if they tried tracking him and was unsuccessful they might walk the downwind side of it and let that dog just pick up that scent of the dead deer out in the field because you know a, a dog can wind a dead deer at you know quarter of a mile sometimes i'd think a ruddy Um, buck probably even farther yeah i mean yeah i'm just being 
generous with yeah. that but i mean you know they can win a dead deer for a long ways you know if there's a good breeze going and so that's one one way that you know you can if your dog you know is tracking and he's unsuccessful and you know you can always walk the downwind side of a block of timber that you think that deer went into and see if he can pick it up then or you can you know there, there's lots of different things you can do but it, it's a team deal you know the, the tracker the handler and the dog you know put in equal parts in my opinion i'm sure that every dog is different mm-hmm. could you give us some examples of like what what are you looking for in the body language on the two dogs that you have as far as when they have a loss compared to is it is it kind of like i know that with the bird dogs or even a squirrel dog you can you can look at them and tell like that one's acting birdy or squirrely like you can like they just mm-hmm. like look like they're about to vibrate yeah so so tim uh, he's a mountain cur he uh he don't put his nose down very often if he if he's putting his nose down and he can hear his nose popping and he sounds like i don't know if, you know I've, I've had beagles before too but you can hear that nose popping on a beagle when they're really grinding out a rabbit track or whatever and then they'll jump it up and they'll get it running and they pick their head up and they're usually barking and running hard and then if they lose it you'll see that nose go down and they'll go to just you know spider webbing around just combing every inch of it until they and that you'll hear that nose popping well tim will do that um if he's if he's lost if, if he's got his head up and his tail's wagging and he's really pulling on the lead and he and, i mean he's on it and he's burning it up you know so to speak and if he overruns it a lot of times the first thing he'll do is his head will go down and you'll he'll go to kind of milling back and forth and looking and he'll usually circle back towards me and come back to where where he lost the track and then he'll pick it back up again and that's that's a good exercise to do so if he overruns it and he's coming back now he's he's trying to cut a track and what that means is like he's he's coming perpendicular to a track and he's going to pick that track up and go either right-handed or left-handed and that's a good exercise to do with a dog is lay a track um you know and the wind can still be at your back where he's not going to you know pick it up and and shortcut it with the wind in his in his face but you know where you know where that track is and you walk that dog towards it the wind's at his back so he can't smell it and just watch what his body language is when he hits that track or when he cuts that track and turns and so when that dog when you're tracking he's got his head up and he's moving fast and his tail's wagging he's pulling and then he loses it puts his nose down he's starting to kind of mill then he comes he comes backwards towards where you just came from he'll cut that track and usually go right-handed or left-handed of where he missed it the first time and you'll know what body language to look for when he cuts that track and makes a hard makes a hard 90 you'll know that all right we're back on it again and then he'll get to going he'll be picking his head up you know wagging his tail again moving and pulling hard and you know that you'll be able to tell and then like my, my terrier she which she's still young so she's getting better at it each time but she'll put her nose down and she'll be back and forth and back and forth and back and forth all the time on a track and she's not really a straight line you know sometimes she will she'll get on it and, and she'll really get to run that straight line but she really goes back and forth on track a lot and it's tough with her um because she's so little that i'm having trouble with her getting tangled on a lot of stuff and she can't pull through them where 
Tim can, I pretty much will let most of the line just drag behind him and I'll move up and down the line as I can. You know, when he, as long as I don't get past the end where I lose connection with it, but I'll kind of just let the line run through my hand. Mm-hmm. And if he does get wrapped around something, I can kind of pull pull it on through and help him. But most of the time, he he pulls right through everything on on himself. And uh, where the terrier, she can't. I mean, it can be a small little twig that if she wraps around it a couple times, she can't pull through it. So I'll have to I'll have to pull pull through it for her and stuff. But I think I'm gonna, which I think I, I talked to you about this last night. But I think I'm gonna switch her down to like a weed eater line or something that she can pull through a lot better and i'll just tie a loop in the end of it where i can hold on to it and try switching her over to that but yeah i've heard of people doing a similar thing if uh if they've got a dog that's real hard to catch that's kind of wild they'll take they'll just take a long length of weed eater cord and tie it to it that way at least they can if they can get close enough to step on that cord they can at least catch the dog. step on it and pull reel them in Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah, that's. I think that's what I'm gonna do with hers. Switch her to, which I I bought a a different line from Line Country Supply, and it it was a, a lot stiffer line. It's kind of like a heel rope. I don't know if you've ever had like a lariat rope for healing calves, but they're real stiff, and it's kind of like that type of material. And I thought, well, it won't really coil around things like that cotton lead does, and it it works better than the other one, but um, I think I, I think it's still gonna be a little bit too much for her. Thirty, thirty feet of line for an eighteen pound dog is kind of a lot to pull anyway. Yeah. But uh, you know, you put it through a lot of different obstacles, and <laughs> she she can't hardly pull through it. And that that's another thing that you need to teach in your process too is like, you know, my dogs are broke to lead, so I have a collar on them around their neck, and I clip with just a regular dog lead on them and they don't pull on me, but I've always tracking a five point harness, five point harness. And I've, I've got, when I first start putting them on tracks, I'll put a little bit of resistance on that harness where they learn that it's okay to pull through that little bit of resistance because you want them to, to know that it's okay to pull on it because there'll be times when you're tracking and you get in a green briar patch or something and you have to stop. And you're going to have to stop that dog or pull on it. And, and you know, you don't want them to be tracking. And when you stop them, they think they did something wrong, mm-hmm. you know. So they've got to be able to to have that resistance and get, and come to a stop and then wait on you to get to cross a fence or to, or to get through a green bar patch. Or sometimes I've had to get down on my hands and knees and crawl through some of these places these deer go. And the dog's really wanting to go and and you're having to hold them back so i'll when i start off with them on a lead i'll put a little bit of resistance on them on purpose even if they're not going real fast and i can keep up plenty fine i'll keep a steady little bit of resistance on that line just so that they know that they get used to having to pull through it and they know the difference from when that leads clipped to that five point harness they can pull and when that you know a short leads clipped to their collar they can't pull that's when they have to heel and stay at your side and not pull on them and most of them you know they they pick it up pretty quick i've also uh i know i've heard before that a lot of people like the harness even as soon as they start 
messing with them, training them on, just because it gets them to associate the har- wearing the harness with that's what we're doing, especially like on a versatile breed that you're using for multiple things. Uh, whenever yeah. you put that harness on, they go, they automatically know that they're going into tracking. Yep. Yeah, and I'll, you know, Tim, he's a squirrel dog too, and I can put, uh, you know, just a doctor collar on him and turn free casting, and he don't he don't run deer or anything when i put that tracking harness on him you know like you said he he knows that what that's what we're doing we're going to be on lead and i try to do just i try to keep keep them separate like always do pick out a routine that you're going to do when you're squirrel hunting and pick out a routine that you're going to do when you're tracking and keep make them be different you know mm-hmm. like i let him ride i even let him ride in different spots in the truck like i've got a um, you know, just a regular dog box in the back of the truck that I put him in when we're going squirrel hunting. And I've got a crate um, uh, that I keep in the back seat of the truck. And I put him in that when we're going, when we're riding to a, to go to a deer track. And I just, sometimes I'll let him ride actually in the, in the seat or in the front of the truck. But um, if he's muddy or raining or whatever, I'll put him in that crate. But he rides in the cab when we go to a deer track and he rides in the back in the dog box when we're going squirrel hunting just to keep everything different and he's got the harness on when we're tracking you know i'll clip the lead to his to his neck collar when we're walking because sometimes you know you'll go out to a call for a deer and you'll show up with the homeowner and he's got or the landowner or whatever whoever shot it they'll have a side by side that you got to get in and you ride out to wherever shot the deer and then you got to walk 100 yards and you don't want him pulling you the whole time you're doing all that. So I'll keep the, even though he's wearing the harness, I've got the lead clipped to his neck collar and he heals at my side until we get there. And as soon as we get to the shot site, I take the lead collar off of him, clip it around my shoulder or whatever. And I take the 30 foot lead and I clip it to his harness. And that's when we transition to now it's okay for you to pull on me, uh-huh. you know? And I don't ever put that on. As soon as we recover the deer, I take him off of that. And I'll either, sometimes I'll just let him run loose back back if we're walking back or whatever. I can tell him to heal and he'll follow me out. Or I'll clip a, uh, my walking lead on him and I'll lead him out. But I don't I don't ever let him pull me on that harness unless we're on an active track, you know. Have you ever had him treat a squirrel walking back to the truck after a deer? Uh, I haven't had him do it after, but I've had him do it on the way to a deer. Have you? I've had him tree. I've had him tree squirrel on lead on an active track, and uh, it was. It's kind of luckily um, both times. It's happened to me twice, and luckily both times that it happened, he recovered the deer. But uh, it's kind of embarrassing at first when you're tracking, you know. And we were on this deer track, and a lot of times, you know, there's no blood on on these tracks because if there was blood usually the people can find the deer so a lot of times you know they'll say oh we tracked him 300 yards and to a bed and then after the bed there was no blood or we couldn't find no blood and i always tell them take me to the first um the first hit site so i can track track that trail and i can make sure he's you know kind of on the right direction it's just kind of a warm-up you know to get him make sure he's doing right and sometimes he'll clean out you know during that process Uh instead of putting him on the last spot they had blood and and uh 
and then your he's cleaning out during the track and all that stuff so i usually try to start at first blood but you know sometimes you're tracking and there's no blood and you can you can feel the the unsure of the whoever shot the deer like they don't know if they trust your dog or not until you see a spot of blood or something and then they're like oh okay he is on it but sometimes you don't see any and when you're tracking and you don't see any blood and then your dog makes a left-hand turn and starts barking tree you're like (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of a they're like oh my gosh this dog has no idea what he's doing and then i just say hey leave that alone you know find the deer and i'll bring him back to where he was at and he'll take back off and and both times he's found found the deer but (laughs) it it is a um it happens i mean it's hard for a dog that is a versatile dog you know if you're walking him on a lead tracking a a deer that's a four-hour-old track and a hot squirrel runs up right in front of him you know that's they're just dogs you know they they, they're gonna make mistakes just like anything else yeah i can usually tell him you know leave that alone and get back on this and he'll he'll go right back to doing what he was doing we mentioned tracking stats earlier. What all do you keep track of whenever it comes to tracking stats? What do people keep track of? A lot of people, most of them, as far as statistics, will just keep track of their dog and how many they've been on. And, and people will try to, you know, say, if all my dogs recovered, you know, 75% of his tracks. Or And I did that at one point, but I've learned that it doesn't reflect anything to do with your dog, really, because... It all depends on how good you are at deciphering the calls. I mean, because you get a lot of people that call a deer that they shot and it's not a fatal hit. And if you take every call that you get called on, and a lot of people will when they have a new dog, you know, they're trying to get experience under them, you can go on a lot of tracks that aren't fatal hit deer. And that's that's another reason why I'm not on the United Blood Tracker page or whatever i can most of the people that call me i kind of since i i'm only working by word of mouth most of them i know them or we have mutual friends or whatever and i kind of know if they're you know good hunters or not or you if can kind of screen you know, them. <laughs> not, not to say that a new hunter you know can't kill a deer but it's the success of your dog has a lot to do with the tracks that you take i mean and that's it's still not bad to you know, to keep statistics of that, and people will keep track of how many tracks they've been on, how many deer were recovered, how many deer were found alive or determined to still be alive um, by trail camera photos, or you jumped the deer up and he was still alive, or or whatever. That's a successful track, even if the deer wasn't dead. If you tracked him and jumped him up and he was still alive, then that's a successful track, but they'll keep track of that. And then there's other guys that will also keep track of where deer were hit how far they went you know what kind of track if they ran in a straight line if they ran in a circle or if they headed towards water things like that and most of those statistics have found that you've always heard people say oh they'll go towards water or they don't run uphill or they'll you know if they run uphill they're not wounded i mean there's a lot of theories and stuff out there and most of those statistics have proved that none of that's real accurate yeah (laughs) you know most of your fatal hit deer will run in a straight line in the path of least resistance until they die most of them now if they're a deer that requires a follow-up shot or something like that they're not fatally hit or it's a or it's like a a deer that's going to take quite a 
some time to expire now they might circle back towards their bedding area or wherever they feel safe and they'll go towards that area and they'll bed down and some of them will expire in their bed or some of them will take you know weeks to expire and they'll try to go on about their normal life and they might die through the winter from cold or coyotes might get them or infection might get them later or whatever but most of the deer that are fatally shot are just going to run in a straight line until they expire in path of least resistance and that's what most of the statistics will show now you know some of the gut shot deer that'll get sick will go to water but that's not real consistent either it kind of just depends on if there's water close or you know some of them will be gut shot and they'll just go to cover and bed down and and if nothing messes with them, then they'll stay there until they expire. And some of them, you know, get bumped. Coyotes is a big obstacle that tracking dogs will come across because um, most of your deer are going to get, even if the hunters don't bump them, most of the time the coyotes are going to get them up, you know, within an hour or so if, um, if the people don't bump them. That happens quite a bit because there's just such a high population of coyotes around here everywhere really yeah would you say that you could read your dog like i know that you said that if like they put out a certain pheromone whenever they are mortally wounded would you say that you'd ever be able to tell if your dog thought the deer was alive on a track yes that's a good question and i i just went on a track i went on two tracks the last two days and we recovered one and we didn't recover the other i was actually talking about that with the the guy that shot the second one it was uh the same deer camp we went to two days in a row and there was nine hunters in the camp and they're from out of state and we recovered one deer for, for them and then the second day we went back didn't recover a deer the guy the hunter um was along for both tracks and he he actually brought it up which i i'd already noticed it but i didn't say anything but he said he doesn't seem like he's interested in this track as much and I said, well, yeah, it's kind of funny that you say that. I mean, he, I think sometimes he can tell if the deer's not fatally hit. And I don't know if it's that that pheromone's not as strong, so he's not interested. Or personally, I just think it's it's a track that he knows there's no reward to, so he's not as interested in it. He's more likely to, to be distracted on a squirrel or a armadillo or something then if a if the deer that has that strong pheromone that's wounded that he knows he can he can recover he seems like he's a little more interested he's a lot more keyed up he's a little more excited you know and i've noticed that with him the more tracks we go on it's not that way i think that's something they learn over time they can tell you know some of those deer that and it depends too like what you allow them to do you know there's a lot of guys that you know if you track off lead and you're allowed to bay live deer that's a different that's a different story depending on where you are and where what's legal but like in i know in louisiana they they can run deer off lead and i think they have 24 hours to recover a deer that's shot with a dog of whatever means possible so if they if you shoot it in the leg and the dogs can go bay it and you can go in and shoot it again those type of dogs might not care if it's you know um one they're not going to recover because you're not ever going to 
catch up to a deer like that tracking on weed i mean i've had them where you run them forever and they start clover leafing and coming back to the area you pushed them out of and then you'll push them the other direction you'll go you know three quarters of a mile and they'll start circling back and come back through and you'll start coming across fresh blood and stuff that you're on the right track and you're pushing this deer but you're never going to catch up to him on lead and then they just even if they're you know three-legged they're still faster than you are Uh on lead going through the brush and everything else where that's a deer that off lead you'd probably a dog would catch and bay and you can go in and shoot it again but the only way on lead you're going to recover them is if they expire or if they're really close to you know I've, i've tracked up on them where they were still alive but most of those deer that you track up on they're still alive they're gonna expire at some point they just might not be quite there yet you know you might be five hours after the shot and at six or eight hours they would have expired you know i've I've tracked up on quite a few that were still alive but those were gonna die anyway the ones that are hitting the leg or they're hitting the you know they're back strapped or whatever those, those deer you're not gonna catch them off lead I mean, you're not going to catch them unless you are tracking off lead. From your tracking experience, is there anything that's really stood out to you about deer in general that you've learned? Not necessarily about deer. I mean, I have learned a lot about a dog's nose and the capabilities of them and stuff. You know, I, and I have seen deer do some, some crazy things, you know, that like g- double back on their track and, and do stuff like that. That, that you wouldn't think that that you would see they they do some crazy stuff sometimes especially if they're alive and and you're pushing them and they know they're being tracked you know that's when they'll start doubling back and crossing over their track and doing things like that but the most you know impressive things i've learned from tracking you know i talked about earlier anything you do with a dog that's different than what you're used to you can learn stuff that comes back to them but just the capabilities of a nose of, of a like a cur dog you know everybody says you know like a, you would think a hound has a better nose and i'm sure they they do have a better nose but like i've tracked 48 hour old tracks with tim and recovered them i've watched him you know grub a 48 hour old track and that's not something that you would think you know a cur dog is capable of you know you wouldn't want him to grab a 48 hour old coon track or or something like that you know Mm -hmm. you'd want them i've kind of made my opinion that that it's not that they're not capable of doing it is they just don't they're smart enough to go past that and find something that's hotter most people will say that the cur dog only trees hot tracks or or you want them to only treat hot tracks but uh that doesn't mean they don't have the nose capabilities. That just means they have enough brains to to skip over that stuff that, that they don't need to be tracking and find something that's fresher or hotter, that's something that they can be successful and have fur in the tree. But but they're definitely capable of, of grubbing a 48-hour-old track like you've seen a, an old your grandpa's blue tick do or something on a coon track. You know, like they're capable of doing that. They just... They usually most of them don't and you wouldn't want them to um if you were you know as far as tree dogs go but but when you train them to get on a scent and stay on it and and you practice at it and they're definitely capable of doing it it's it's impressive to see um some of the stuff they can do i mean you you're like man i don't know how in the world they did that you know before i probably would have said 
ain't no way but they can i think a dog's nose is so good that we can't wrap our minds around or comprehend how exactly it works you know just because it's so much different than how we smell or Lane, what advice would you have for somebody that makes a shot on a deer, blood runs out on them, they want to call in a dog? What what advice would you have for somebody in that situation? A lot of guys will tell you, um, you know, as soon as you shoot a deer, you know, if you're, you know, just call a tracker. And, and I disagree with that. I think everybody should go to where they shot the deer and look and, and see if they can find blood and attempt to recover your deer. And I, I don't mean, you know, grid search it if you can't find it, but go look and because you know some of the questions that a good tracker is going to ask you is did you have blood did you find your arrow if it's a if it's a archery deer um you know they're going to want to see pictures of the blood uh, things like that so if you just shoot a deer and you didn't even get out of your stand you're not going to know the answers to a lot of the questions so i would recommend that you go to where you shot the deer and look for your arrow if you if it's an archery deer and see if you can find your arrow if it's a if it's not an archery just look for blood look for hair bone things like that in the area that you shot the deer and if you don't find that stuff you might go in the direction that you saw the deer run for a short distance and see if you because sometimes you know a deer will run 50 yards before they start bleeding if you go 50 yards in the direction that you saw the deer or you go in the direction that you last seen the deer and you don't see any blood and you're having trouble, then you can then you can call a tracker and, and give them all the information that you have. So that's, you know, the advice I'd give for one, that if they, they're not finding anything, you know, if you go down there and you find your arrow, you find blood, and you start tracking and it starts getting worse, I would say stop right there if it starts getting worse because usually – if it starts getting worse, you're either pushing the deer or you've already jumped him up or he's starting to clod on you or whatever, and I would I would stop it. The blood A blood trail should get progressively better if it's a, a fatally hit deer in the vital organs. It should get better as it goes, not worse. And if it starts getting worse, then you would, I would back out. But um, the first, you know, and, and another thing is to make sure you give them plenty of time. You don't want to a deer that's jumped up is a whole lot less likely to be recovered than a deer that just beds down and has enough time to expire there. But things to make note of when you shoot one is which direction they were facing, where you think you hit them at, if they were quartering to or quartering away or broadside. You know, if you can recover your arrow, that's a big, big help to a tracker. The blood that's on it, how much penetration you had, things of that nature are all questions they're going to ask probably what type of broadhead you're shooting things of that nature do you put much stock in what the deer's tail does after the shot as far as no. if, if it's runs with its tail up tail down it stops it flicks its tail or not that kind of stuff no i mean and a lot of that a lot of that comes from uh, experience not from just tracking deer but from from hunting deer too i mean i've i've shot deer that ran hard with you know mule kicked and ran hard with their tail down i've I've shot deer that you know if they if they flag and they're just kind of running off with their tail up a lot of times you might have completely missed them but but i've had deer that were gut shot or something like that that'll kind of flicker their tail and they're hurt and they and they just ease off and sometimes they'll do that but it's hard to 
to judge anything on, like that with any kind of consistency at all. I mean, most of that stuff is just, I mean, I've had people tell me that the deer blew, and I used to think that, oh, if he blew at you, you probably missed him or didn't hit him good or whatever, but then I've recovered some of those deer too. So um, it's hard to hard to say. Now, I mean, if you take out both lungs on a deer, I doubt, you, he's, I doubt he's gonna blow at you, but you know, if you shoot him in the hind quarter and clip an artery, he might blow as soon as you hit him and he don't know that he's hurt near as bad as he is. And 75 yards later, he's piled up because you clipped a big artery in his leg, you know? So you never know what, what could, what could happen to them and how they're going to react to it. And there are, you know, some of them things will translate, but most of it's inconsistent on, on how it goes, you know? So I'm sure that every tracking team operates differently in this manner but what could you kind of give us a rundown of what somebody that was calling a tracker in should be expected on like what's fair compensation for coming and running the track find not find uh just could could you speak on that a little bit for us i would say um you know like you said it depends on on each person and what their expenses are and things like that i figure I, i usually take tracks that are within an hour of my house and if you account for what the cost of fuel, what the cost of fuel is, and you know driving an hour one direction and then back, and then you hardly ever spend you know less than an hour on a track. So I mean you're usually looking at about a three hour minimum uh, on a track that's you know within an hour of your of your house. So if you just you know figure up what the fuel is and for that in three hours of your time a month most of the time that's not going to be less than about a hundred dollars. You know, that's just, just fuel in three hours of somebody's time. And that's not, you know, an outrageous amount of money as far as your hourly rate or whatever. So I, I think you should, I think you should be expecting to pay somewhere around that, that hundred dollar mark just to get somebody out there. Cause that's kind of about what their, their minimum is going to be most of the time. Now there's a lot of guys out there that'll, that'll that won't charge anything they i mean and i've done it i've done a whole bunch of tracks that i didn't charge anything but the more successful your dog gets and the more confidence you get in the dog and the more tracks you start taking the more it becomes almost impossible for you to be taking them for free you know like if i was taking as many tracks as i go on if i was doing them for free i'd i'd be broke <laughs> So, I mean, the, the guys, uh, you know, you should expect for a guy to charge somewhere in that range. And then the longer he's there, most guys that are that are fair are going to tell you, hey, man, I'll, I'll keep tracking if you want me to, but this isn't looking good. And, you know, the longer I'm out here, the, you know, most of them aren't going to try to just rack up a big deal on you because they don't want to be out there away from their family any longer than they have to be for a deer that they're not going to recover uh-huh. you know so i would just uh, say uh, if you're going to call a tracker you know you probably should have some some references of um you know talk to some people that they've tracked for and make sure they're not just you know trying to get money out of you because I've, I've heard horror stories of some guys that are um you know they don't have a they're just doing it to, to make money and they're uh you know, maybe they don't have a dog that's even capable of recovering a deer, and they'll come out there and, and just track and then give you a bill and say, oh, he wasn't dead or whatever, you know. So have some references. You know, you might ask, you know, to 
to see some pictures of the dog in some recoveries or, or, uh, you know, or, or they may ask you for some references of some phone numbers that you can give to people that you have recovered deer for so they can talk to them. And, and, and that's, those aren't bad questions to ask. I've had people ask me that and I, I can send them, you know, people to talk to or pictures or whatever they want, you know, and I, I don't think any tractor that's, you know, doing it for the right reasons is going to mind if you ask them those types of questions. But I think you should, if, as a hunter, you know, calling somebody out there, they should be expecting to, you know, to be given some kind of compensation for their time and their, and their efforts. Cause there's a lot of, uh, work that goes into training one and there's a lot of time away from your family and a lot of those calls you know come in at the most inopportune times when you're doing something that you know your family doesn't want you to leave and go to or whatever so i think everybody should you know kind of be expecting to to give some sort of compensation and most people are usually when I, whatever i charge um, a lot of times people give me more than what i'm asking for you know i might say hey man if you'll just give me 60 bucks to cover my fuel or whatever then we'll call it good and they'll pay me a hundred you know or, or whatever like so most people are good about it what uh you got any advice for someone who wanted to potentially become a blood tracker yeah i would say you know i wouldn't uh try to turn anybody away from it it's a lot of fun uh you can learn a lot about dogs and and you can you know learn a lot of things that make you a better handler and a better trainer from it and there's a lot of uh, need for it you know and it's and like i started off with it's fairly easy to to train one i I wouldn't you know have want anybody to be discouraged thinking that it's you know too difficult to to tree or to train one i mean it's one of the easier things to train it comes natural to dogs and it's not even really breed specific i mean you can have a a house dog that can do it i mean it doesn't depend on their age even if your dog's a little older and you want him to have some sort of a job you know try it find out what uh drives your dog if it's food or if it's playing tug or a ball or whatever and uh like i talked about earlier you know put something at the beginning middle and end of that track and start off easy and progressively get harder and you know reward them at the end with whatever drives them but i'd say any breed any age dog can do it and there's there's gonna be some that that won't but for the most part just about any dog you know can do it it's a great job for a dog that you know it doesn't have a job at all if it's not a hunting dog it's just a house dog or a cow dog or or whatever you know just about any dog can do it well lane we've been at this for a little over an hour now so i think we're gonna gonna get it wrapped up but man a lot of good stuff in there a lot of really good information once again i want to thank you and uh where can you mentioned your tiktok and stuff like that where all can people find you to follow you at I'm on Facebook. It's just Lane Williams, and then uh, I've got uh, I'm, it's Oak Fusky Outdoors on TikTok and on YouTube. Um, that's O K F U S K E E Outdoors, and again, that's that's the county where I'm where I'm from, and uh, that's the TikTok channel and everything. So they can find me and follow me there. All right. Well, everybody listening, thank you for coming listen to us today. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me. I just want to give everyone that's listening a sincere thank you. Getting this podcast going has been a project. I really hope you're enjoying it, and if you don't mind, give the show a good rating and review wherever you're listening to it at, or share it on your social media to help get some traction. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to your feedback.